Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com that's not just the sound of that first sip of morning joe it's the sound of someone shopping for a car on carvana from the comfort of home that's a good blend it's time to take it easy like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes talk about starting the morning right just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from, head to a thing or two HQ.com and subscribe to our newsletter and sign up for Secret Menu, our jazzy new hub for members-only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. And if you want to say something nice about us to our faces, you can also leave us a review on iTunes. And here's the thing. It helps our podcast so much when you do that. So give us a nice rating, preferably. Give us a nice review, preferably. It helps spread the word. It helps us be able to keep on doing this. And uh, we want to keep doing this. We do. We do. Something we don't want to keep doing. <laughs> we want to stop saying guys. Or no, we want to stop saying guys as a as you guys as a way of referring so to yeah you guys i say it so much that when i ran a race with a group of people in which we all had to be in the same space for an extended for like a whole weekend together yeah. they just started shortening it to yg for me like that was how they made fun of me like okay yg yg um <laughs> You think that's better like KFC or something where you're like totally just like distancing what this actually means? (laughs) Maybe. Should we just start? I did try to make it a thing. It didn't catch on, but we could try again to start saying YG. So, um, I mean, you know, ultimately I think we should get ourselves to move away, but maybe as a transitional solution. (laughs) Um, and we've been working on this for years, 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 years. And I wish it didn't come so naturally. And I don't know why it does. I was being reminded of how problematic it is and how uncomfortable it makes certain people uh, recently, especially around International Non-Binary People's Day, which was July 14th, um, because this was circulating of like, obvious, you know, historically guys is gendered the way that a lot of people use it now, uh, 
we've kind of neutered it of gender, but not everybody feels that way. And it makes it hard for people who don't identify as a guy to feel included in that group. Right. And, you know, language evolves and we should be evolving it to feel more current with um, how we think about gender. The problem is that you and I have not figured out something that comes as naturally to us, which is fine because sometimes it's not natural to change our speaking patterns. The one that we have sort of nixed is we're we're not going to say girls because that's that's also not inclusive anyway. Exactly. It's not inclusive. It's also not, but it is something, you know, where if I was speaking to a group of women, I might be inclined to say, you guys, if I'm stopping myself, an alternate that comes to mind is, okay, girls, which I have stopped doing in large part because years and years ago, we had Aminatou So on the podcast and she spoke very eloquently about how problematic it is to be calling grown women girls um, and that there's just absolutely no reason to be doing it. Also, calling adults girls and boys, especially Black women and men adults, has these sort of racist undertones that... um, are obviously not okay. So, and you and I have been called girls in a professional setting um, oh by gosh. lots of older men, yeah. and we did not take well to it. No, we're we women. Did not take well. Um, no, and it's yeah. You know, you and I also don't respond well to "Hey, ladies," just as like a, a tick. Um, but that's that has less to do with what the word "ladies" says than just like how it sounds and feels in the mouth. I don't know. <laughs> you know what else I didn't respond well to in a professional setting is the one time that. Remember somebody was like, oh, it's the twins. Mm, yeah. Didn't land for me. Didn't land for me. So we're exploring alternates. Um, and obviously the one, not obviously, this is another tick I have. I say obviously all the time. One that comes up a lot is y'all. Y'all is something that makes me wish I were from the South because then I would feel more appropriate saying y'all than I do right now because it's so useful. It's just incredibly, incredibly useful as a term. It's incredibly useful. A plural you. (laughs) So you say use sometimes. I do. And I mostly say it in writing where I feel more comfortable with it. I don't, I know, I feel like, hey, use is hard. (laughs) I do a lot of, hey, you too. Uh-huh. Um, if I'm addressing two people and maybe yep. you three, but after that, it starts to get out of hand. Hey, you seven doesn't really work <laughs> and it's too much mental processing. Um, your husband says team a yeah, lot, which I really like. He does I a lot of like, it. hey team, hey it's, team. It's wonderful. It's very warm. And I do try to adopt that sometimes. Um, it also is unifying in it's a way that unifying. Some of the others are not. Exactly. It's like, oh, we are, we are on the same side. We are all together. Yes. I, I like it for that reason, particularly on social media, just referring to all of my followers as a team. Like, hey, we're all in this together. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. Someone sent us an email the other day, which is part of what sparked this conversation topic, which was addressed to good people. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And I I don't know. I don't think I could ever use it, but I really liked it. (laughs) It was lovely. It really was good people. And it wasn't like, it was just like good people, comma. Like, yeah. Jumping in. It sounds a little bit um, church-like in a way. You know, Mm -hmm. you'd expect maybe your pastor to address you as good people. Having never had a pastor. um, Yeah. Yeah. You and I have, between us, have gone to church probably a total of five times and never to a church that we were members of. So, yeah. (laughs) Good people is nice, though. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. For, so you listed some other alternatives here. Friends, humans, everyone. Everyone's not bad. Why aren't we saying, hey, everyone? Yeah, everyone's pretty good. Everyone's hey, pretty good. Hey, everyone. Hey, everybody. I'm going to start trying. You know, I do think I'm going to start trying some of these out. See how they land. See how they land. You'll, you know, you'll either notice an evolution or not. But it is, I'm with you. It's really hard to cut out the you guys as much as I don't want to keep saying it. Same. Um, the one that I think most people would probably refer us to is hey folks. Um, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I just say that word weirdly or if an LK <laughs> just doesn't really work in a word, doesn't make it like a nice word to pronounce. Mm-hmm. Um, it also makes me think of Barack Obama dressing the nation, which is not a bad thing. It just makes it not feel very casual. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 No, folks, I've been noticing being used a lot more these days. Um, yeah. I think I can get behind saying folks. The problem is it's not, I can't replace you guys entirely with folks. I can't say, hey, no. folks. Well, you know what the problem with folks is for me? It's folksy. <laughs> it's a little folksy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, should we bring on our very, very, very exciting guest? Yes, please. Okay, great. Let's do it. So excited about this one. The Michelle Obama podcast is now out on Spotify. The series brings listeners inside the former first lady's most candid and personal conversations, showing us what's possible when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, to open up, and to focus on what matters most. My hope is that this series can be a place to explore meaningful topics together and sort through so many of the questions we're all trying to answer in our own lives, Michelle Obama said. Perhaps most of all, I hope this podcast will help listeners open up new conversations and hard conversations with the people who matter most to them. That's how we can build more understanding and empathy for one another. Episode subjects focus on the relationships that shape us, from siblings and close friends to partners, parents, and mentors, to our relationship with ourselves and our health. Joining the former First Lady will be an array of special guests, including President Barack Obama, Marion and Craig Robinson, Conan O'Brien, Valerie Jarrett, Michelle Norris, and Dr. Sharon Malone. Listen free at spotify.com slash Michelle Obama. That's spotify.com slash Michelle Obama. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party, a podcast for working women that support each other's successes. In each episode, we bring in leading female powerhouses for career, real talk, and BS-free advice. Ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. This is a very special guest we have, a longtime friend of, of a kind. Oh, you're already going to make me cry. <laughs> of a kind's first photographer, of a kind's first friend, really. Oh my gosh, Aww. true. Jamie Beck. Formerly known as Ann Street Studio, formerly known as From Me to You, now just <laughs> Jamie Beck. I'm finally owning it. You're owning <laughs> so it. Proud. Just using your own name. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jamie is a photographer who is a was was a fashion photographer, still is, but has moved to Provence in the last you've been there for two years now? Four. Girl. What? Yes. Wow. Can you what? believe it? Look how no. fast time has gone. I know. I know. I know. Well, it's two years illegally, two years legally. <laughs> okay. So, so on the record, record, two years. On the record, four, two years. four years physically. 
four yes. years physically. Wow. Wow. I know. Jamie, that's crazy. I My know. sense of time is so, I mean, it, it turns Worked. out you just dropped a bomb at the top of the episode. Of yeah, well, this is in there. But 2020 is the last year anyway, so it doesn't really count. And transition year of like when no one knows what's going on, because I didn't tell anyone I was moving to France, doesn't really count. So really- You told us. That's good. I feel like I just kind of got on a plane and was like, (laughs) kind of whispered bye. That was, (laughs) that was, okay. So let's give everybody a little bit of background. So you lived in New York for how long? 13 years. For 13 years. For like seven or eight of those years, we knew you. Right. We met you before we started of a kind. We 2010. Yeah. yeah. We reached out and we said, we're starting this website. And would you be interested in, in doing the photography for it? And we both, you and I both lived on the Upper West Side. So Eric Like a walk apart. Yeah. And I feel like that won a lot of um, favor Favor. from you, (laughs) like in a very like when Harry met Sally, Penny Marshall kind it of fell into like all of my fantasies. Faded. Yeah. I have friends. We're definitely going to have breakfast together before we go to work. Like they do. And Harry met Sally. I'm like, who actually does that? Well, now <laughs> I have a friend who lives around the corner that can do that. We never did that. So then you were the only person who shot our photography for the first couple of years of of a kind, which in retrospect was an insane expectation on everybody's part. It was nuts. That's what you do in your 20s. You launch businesses and you say yes to things and you just get in over your head. And then we all shared an office space for several years when you and Kevin Which is where you got the name and Street Studio Studio. because that was our cross street. Yeah. And your your career really took off in part, in large part, because you guys introduced the cinemagraph, which was a moving image. And then you were getting so much work and getting so stressed out. And you just said, you know what? I'm leaving. I'm going to Provence. You said peace. Yeah. yeah. And that, and I've never looked back. And I was only supposed to be for a year. And then it just kind of has turned into four because why would you what, leave? What made you stay? With the, I mean, it was just so good. We kept saying, well, well, let's just stay one more month and then one more one. And then it's like, well, we'll go home at Christmas. And then we went home at Christmas and we're like, we'll do like a road trip across the United States and like a little soul searching. And then we were like, oh my God, I cannot wait to go back to France. And so it was like really clear immediately, like how much, for, how many more miles are left across this country before we get to go back to France? So how has it changed your like work? New. I mean, you can, you can, the richness and the meaning and in my work has gotten, it just means something now. Like in New York, it was, it was, it was really commercial based and product based and it didn't really say anything about the life that we all live and share together how I feel about it or things I think that we should be looking at and thinking about and talking about it was just about moving product right if it was working for you guys or later on working for brands like Tiffany or Chopard it's always you know everything is lovely but uh it's it's just on the top right and so now I, you know, now I don't have any products to shoot. Now I have life to shoot. And that's what I have to go out and find and observe, observe what happens in myself and what happens around us in this community now that all the noise has been turned off. So it's really become a study. And, you know, I used to make one photograph a day. You know, I used to, you know, it's like thou- I do thousands of photographs. You guys remember editing, the, making the selects? And now I spend the entire day on one. And sometimes it will take days just to edit that one photograph. So the whole approach to how I work has completely changed. It's like as if the life in New York, the fast pace, everything was going so quickly was 
it was compiling all of these this, these images and quick, 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 quick. And then I came here and I turned everything down so slowly that my shutter speeds are seconds long and my photographs take so much time to build. You know, it really is a reflection of the place. How has it impacted the mechanics of your career, right? So you used to be working for these big brands and and taking hundreds, thousands of photographs for them in a day and you were on, you know, getting paid by them. Now you're not doing that. How are you making things work? Well, what one of the most wonderful things that happened when I came here was I started making work that I was interested in, not just that what I was hired or asked to do or to portray some sort of lifestyle of a girl who lives in New York City for social media following and stuff like that. I just made things photographs that I was really interested in. And the most wonderful thing happened. I started getting hired by brands to do that, which is like the best feeling in the world because they're not, I'm not just executing something that they need. I'm executing my vision for them. So, you know, like I did an album cover for a famous cellist in France for Warner Classics. I did. Netflix hired me to shoot a campaign for them. And it was wonderful. Uh, so now it's actually, when I do client work, it's for the right reasons. So you mentioned when you moved to Provence, it was about turning things down. And then over the, you know, during this year with COVID-19, things turned way, way down. Um, oh, like all the way off. Like <laughs> off. Things turned <laughs> off. And awesome. you were home with Kevin and your, how old is 18, Eloise now? Well, now she's 18 months, but then it was... A year and change. Yeah. 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 Our kids were born crawling. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say our kids were born like a week apart. Yeah. I always wondered that when I texted you guys the pregnancy test, I don't (laughs) think you had told me. And then I got worried that you were like, well, I'm pregnant too. I didn't know. I I got worried that you did know. And then you were mad at me because I was like stepping into your moment. (laughs) No. That's we were doing pregnancy works. We were <laughs> <laughs> we were in a we were in a lift driving back from doing our book cover shoot and like totally just coming down from this intensely high pressure situation and we started getting I think Instagram DMs from you like disappearing yeah. photos of pregnancy yeah. tests. We we're like what is this actually happening? It's exactly what how you like to convey on? information. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um and- yeah, <laughs> that's how it happened. And I had no idea I was pregnant. Because sometimes I worry about that. But now that oh. <laughs> glad you can sleep at night now, 18 months later. <laughs> but you had Cam before I did. Yeah, because I, I had. So, Claire, you beat longer. her to that punch. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I the stole point. your moment. To, you stole into. Yes. Yeah, we <laughs> traded back and forth. <laughs> yes. Ping pong. I also like how I just accepted that that might be a reality. And Erica, you jumped in and you were like, even if what in what world? <laughs> it's not a thing. It's, it's not, not a, a thing. thing. It's not a thing. OK, so during this period um, of this global pandemic, you had been at home with Kevin and Eloise and launched pretty early on, very early on in your lockdown period your isolation creation project. Can you tell us about it? Can you explain it? Yes. So beginning of ice of the confinement in France. Sounds like a dish, like duck <laughs> confinement. Right? It does. Yeah. It does. So it was in the beginning, it was just, it was, it was actually awful. It was like the worst time. I, you know, I make my money still on 
commercial client work. And it was just watching my inbox cancel, 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 cancel. And I've been working on these things for months, like prepping for these shoots. And I, so I just saw my income evaporate and our plans evaporate. Um, and my husband's, he was being, he was a design director for a tech company and like he got the email too. And we're just like, Oh my God, what are we going to do? And we, and we, you can't leave your house. It's not like you can go out and hustle. And uh, so it was just a really dark, scary place. And then they're like, and you know, obviously the crash, which is the French daycare would be closed. So I'm like, we have to full time without any help from friends or family, take care of a baby, which we also don't know what we're doing. <laughs> Who <laughs> like, does? We're like, we have to feed her three meals a day. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was just like really overwhelming and really dark. And I don't like that feeling. I'm a really positive person. So I just woke up and I said, you know what? I'm going to make a commitment to make one thing a day. That's something I knew that I could do and I could control it. I could take back the power that I feel like was just like seeping out of me, you know, taking away to the world. And so I told Kevin, I'm going to do this because he needs to be on board to help with Eloise. And I said, I'm going to name it isolation creation. And he said, well, make sure no one's using the hashtag first. So we looked it up and it was like 13 things. I mean, it's so smart, right? (laughs) And then he goes, and it was a Saturday. And then he goes, okay, well, can you start on Monday? And I was like, no, we're starting today. (laughs) Before more people start using the hashtag, you got to claim it. You got to get on it, right? Yeah. So I like went downstairs, like, full face of makeup, which I never do, and made this announcement on Instagram because I had to like make the public commitment so then we couldn't back out of it. So I I told my audience, which is mostly creative women, honestly, uh, to like join me. And basically while we're all stuck at home and we can't do anything and we don't really necessarily know how we're going to make a living, we can all at least make art and we can all learn and grow and support each other and discover each other. And, um, it was actually incredible in that way because I would do roundups every day of women or you know people around the world who made an isolation creation. And there's so many people who, who reached out and bought their art, you know? So it's like, it really wasn't like a way to support artists, not just emotionally, but also financially as well. So that was an, an incredibly positive thing. And t- so I was also supposed to have a show an exhibition in New York that was canceled. So one of my friends on Instagram said, well, you should have uh, like a digital, like an Instagram live exhibition. But I only had a couple of the prints here in France with me. So I said, okay. And I was like, no one is going to buy this. (laughs) So we did it anyways. But but this is, so while we sold the fine art, I was like, well, why don't we sell affordable art for people? Because people always want to buy my work and I can't, do fine art prints. It just takes so long to deal with printing and stuff. So, but we can do like posters because I love art posters from the nineties. I just love them. And then Erica, where your wedding reception dinner was. Wow. Gons. Yeah. Yes. Plastered. We used to go eat dinner there and I would just stare at the walls. I loved it. It was just a Yeah. They would just have wheat. They had wheat paste posters all over Mm. the walls. It was amazing. Amazing. So I was like, let's just do an, let's do an art poster and we'll make it affordable art. And I think by the using the name poster, people understand that it's not like perfect, like final quality. Museum quality. Yeah. But it is actually like really good quality. (laughs) We know. We have them. You could literally cut out the photograph and frame it. And it's basically the same thing as a print. So that's a tip for your listeners. (laughs) So, (laughs) So, uh, 
Yeah. So then we launched that when I did my virtual gallery show and it was, it was really successful. And then each day I would make a piece of art. Kevin, who designed the posters, he has his degrees in graphic design. He, uh, he would upload them to the site and the store and we'd share and link it. And it was the best feeling in the world. And now I don't want to do anything. I hate doing anything now except that. And this was your first time selling your work directly to your audience. Yeah. I mean, yeah. was this your first time selling your work commercially at all? Well, I mean, I sold the the edition with you guys for the last our last of a kind edition. That's true. Yeah, our very last yeah. of a kind edition. Yeah. Momentous. Yeah. yeah. Um, what What took you so long to sell your work? Well, I just didn't think you could actually make money doing it. Like, I thought that you have to make money being a commercial photographer. That's that's how you make money. Like, there's tiers, right? Like, okay, well, you can shoot, like, high school portraits, and then you can do weddings, and then, you know, you work up to commercial photographer, and that's how you make your money. And the, and the jobs are jobs are really great. Like, when we were in New York, it was really great. Um, but here, I can make enough commercial, do a few commercial jobs a year, and that's how I make my income. I didn't know I could sell my artwork, and people would buy it, and I could actually live off of that. Yeah. Yeah. And how has that changed your relationship with your work to be selling it directly to people versus brands? It means so much more now. Is like people, you know, people buy it for sentimental reasons for, and they share that with me. So there's a connection or I feel like I can make something for somebody that is representational of, of a thing that they felt or a thing they wish they could communicate, but they couldn't. And I can create that and give that feeling to them that they can hang on their wall. Like it's super powerful or dream, you know, I can give people dreams or I can mark a moment in time that we're all living through. It's just, it's just so, so rich to have that ability to, to create this universal experience for everybody. One of the things I have really enjoyed about you moving to Provence, one of the few things I've enjoyed because I miss you, um, (laughs) is, is, you were supposed to come visit. I know I was supposed to come visit in May. I sent well, you a good. I sent you a good list. You sent me like various texts and emails and a lot of like, oh, and also this. I'm passionate about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm passionate. Exactly. Yeah, I was really excited to come. I've gotten to see a lot more of your process um, in putting mm. these pieces together and the behind the scenes and your bugs and your flower mm. collecting and all of it. What made you excited to share the process and what has the response been like? As a photographer, I've been a photographer my entire life. I find it super frustrating that people are so closed. Like they keep everything so secretive, like they hold their cards to their chest. And I'm like, photography is not rocket science. You know what? The magic that comes from photography comes from the person who's photographing the brain of the person, not the technical aspect of it. So for me, I find it's like, really way more fun to show all the stuff that I'm really into and to exchange knowledge. It's a two-way street. Like I share things that I I do. And then sometimes someone teaches me how I can do it better. And it's great. Like we're all, we should always be growing and learning and sharing. And, you know, I like bugs. I like butterflies. And now like people save them for me. Like I get messages like, but I left a butterfly on the fireplace for you. And it's like, great. This is great. Amazing. So it's like letting people know who you are and then like attracts like, you know, I like chateaus and castles and fairy tales and long gowns. And like, now these are the designers that I know and I'm making friends with people who own castles and it's just wonderful. Right. But if I friends with castles, wonderful. Friends with castles. Yeah. Get (laughs) yourself, that should be a hashtag. Get yourself some friends with castles. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's just, it's really, my process is really just showing people who I am. 
just getting to know me and getting to know my, my way and getting, you know, I share my knowledge, you share yours. And so it's been really great. And I started doing it a little bit. And then I saw how much more wonderful life was when we are just more open. Uh, so that's why I really, really enjoy doing that. It must take so much time to share it in the way that you do and add so much time to your process. Does it interrupt your creative process ever to have to stop and share it? No, because I work by myself. I have to work alone. So it's part of my internal dialogue. So it's, it is part of the creation process for me when I'm doing it. When I don't share a process, a photograph is less successful because people didn't come on the journey. So I've just, you know, like, so now it's like really fun. I share everything and the more people know and come along with it, the more successful the photograph is. And then I Do you was, mean creatively successful or like r- successful in terms of likes on Instagram or I sales? Think sales? All three. Yeah. All three. So, you know, and I was talking to Kevin about this the other night because we have a new poster design now that we're out of the isolation creation. And I still wanted to be a poster and I, and I really wanted to have information. It's like, well, what do you, what information do you put with a photograph? And I said, well, wouldn't it be so great when you go to a museum and you look at a painting, if it was a Monet or a Van Gogh or whatever it is, and it had the date it was created and it had the thought that the artist had why or the emotion or what happened that day. And it just gave you a little bit more of the story. Like I don't, I think we've all looked at art for decades now of something in a box hanging there without any information. And I think it's be really more interesting to open up this whole story so people can really feel why you created it and, wh- and what it was like and, and take more away from it. So I guess then that's the whole thing for me is all about sharing. So I'm sharing the process, the creation, and now the pieces that are sold have the information that came with it. That's really what that one moment in time was on that day. Well, you're creating a human connection that I think a lot of people just don't get to experience with art and that can make art intimidating for a lot of people too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that if a lot of people opened up their process, we'd probably realize that, you know, a lot of it's garbage. (laughs) 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 Or like the person really is just full of shit and they have really good people who like spin Do it for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Mm -hmm. spin them into something magnificent. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the the less romantic aspects of all of this that you've been sharing that I think is really interesting is deciding to sell sell physical products involves having to find the right materials and find the right vendors and, and identify who is up to your quality standards. And especially as you start to branch out beyond just posters, you're thinking about introducing stationery and cell phone cases and stuff like this. That's the sort of grunt work that we're used to doing. And I'm watching you do it and I'm like, oh man, she's getting, she's getting a look into this mess. It's so hard. Yeah. It's so hard. And it's like every day, I mean, I was just emailing with the fulfillment center people. I didn't even know what a fulfillment center was like three <laughs> yeah, fair, months ago. Fair. You didn't need to know before. I didn't need, I, I kind of don't want to know, but now I have to know. <laughs> it's like, where do we put all this stuff? <laughs> so it's just a huge, I mean, I think about you guys, it's just, it's all like logistics, right? And, mm-hmm. and then also the gamble. So, you know, we, we, and we have the posters and they're all print to order, right? So that's fine, but okay. We want to make iPhone cases. I loved I, I have one. I love it. And I want to make it. But then what do we do? Like, how many people are going to buy them? Like, what's the gamble you make to how many are you going to print? 
uh, you know, it just gets you have to like, roll the dice and make the yeah. investment the and all dice. of that. Yeah. 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 And it's like, really, with someone who has no product, I never in my life thought I'd sell products. It's just like not on my radar. So it's, it's here you are. But that's why it's important. You always got to keep learning, learning and growing, right? <laughs> Truly. Um, what has it been like being in France as a pseudo expat? Do you call, would you call yourself an expat? No, no, I don't really think about it. I really just kind of, I feel like that even that has too much association with the United States right uh-huh, now. Uh-huh. You're, <laughs> the tie is too close. You're, yeah, you're I had no life okay. before France. I just appeared yeah. here at the age of 30 yeah. something. And I just had delete on the first part. <laughs> Re- redo. As someone living in France who has at some point lived in the United States, <laughs> what, what has it been like to look at what's happening in the United States now as someone who's not here? Um, the first word that comes to mind is embarrassing. It's really, really embarrassing. I always thought of the United States as world leaders, you know, and that's kind of always how I felt because, you know, my husband, and I traveled for a decade, six months out of the year doing the commercial photography. So we traveled to countries all over the world and I was always proud to be an American, but now, you know, the decisions that are being made that it's going to put not only American citizens in harm, but the global community in harm is just really atrocious. And the climate is really atrocious. And so, you know, it's just right now it's just, it's embarrassing. And it's also painful because of the decisions that have been made. Like Kevin and I can't visit our family and they can't visit us. And, you know, just some things happen. Like when the COVID, you know, like, the news situation in the United States is unbelievable. When COVID first happened, we knew it was going to be huge in the United States. But, you know, my parents are like, oh, you should come here. We barely have any cases. And I'm like, oh, I know the news is telling you that, but you're not looking at the facts, you know, and that there, there, there can be like these two worlds where people can think so opposite of each other is, I think, incredibly dangerous. You know? What is it like there? It's, uh, I think that we're all kind of preparing for a second wave. So everyone's wearing masks now. I think it's mandated. You have to, when you leave your house and, and people abide. Yeah. People. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, what do I know? I live in a tiny town in the South of France, but it seems to me like the French people are like super intellectual and they get it. Like, it's just better for all of us if we do this and we don't need to make a thing about it. So I feel like also they don't waste as much energy on drama. Like I feel like the United States is news and is entertainment and conflict is entertainment. So it's more fun to attack because it's, in, it's, in, it's, yeah. it's, like, it's like playing a game. I mean, look at Twitter. It's just, it's just nothing but shared game entertainment that's like really sick. So I don't know. I, my impression of the French is that they don't really care about playing those games. So they just kind of gotten on with it a little bit better. But, you know, I mean, you can still go to the market and, and you can go do normal stuff at this point. And, uh, but it's, there's kind of feeling this like, you know, we're all kind of smoothly going on top of the water, but you can kind of feel the current underneath. That's like, we're all aware of that. We feel the pool. Yeah. That's an interesting way of putting it. You were talking about how important it is to keep learning and exposing yourself to mm-hmm. new things. What are you excited to learn about next besides how to make phone cases? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
<laughs> I mean, in my work, it's always how am I going to go to the next level? Because I love sometimes to go back to the first time I shot Lim- A Still Life of Lemons in Provence, the next year to the next year to the next year. And the terror of ever going backwards and the <laughs> and how good it is. So uh, it's always like, how am I, how is my work going to get better, deeper? You know, how am I going to take it to that next place? So there's that, which has a lot to do with learning. And what do you think the next place is for you? Well, I mean, there's stuff I want to do. I want to start growing my own subjects. Yeah. So that's going to be huge because I think I'm going to learn a lot in that process and be able to draw a whole new set of inspiration from that. Plus the amount of time that goes into actually growing it. And there's things like I really want to shoot strawberries. So I shoot strawberries every spring and I do it differently and I try to get it better. Well, what about the flowers that start before the strawberries come from it? Like, I They're can't very cute. That. They're yeah. so cute and I need that. So, you know, it's, I think it's going to introduce a whole nother, like building out the whole pie of a subject matter. If I can watch it go through fruition. Well, and yeah. look, like I came from the United States where everything looks perfect. You go into a Whole Foods, which gives me panic attacks now because the amount of choices is just overwhelming. And food waste is like ridiculous. And everything is perfect. Every apple is perfect. Sometimes everything's individually wrapped in plastic, right? So I come to Provence and I get lettuce. And I'm like, oh my God, it's, there's dirt in this lettuce, you know? And like everyone <laughs> touches from the everything. ground. <laughs> yeah. And like everyone touches everything with their hands. Like they exchange money and food and cheese and everything with their hands, which like is fine. Like I'm not a germaphobe, so it doesn't bother me, but it's just so different from what I was used to or always experienced. So there's already like a, a really organic step to everything here. Like I find snails and things in my food when I, when I, when I buy it, I have to clean it when I come home because it's real because it's, it's organic and it's, it comes from the earth. So I think that adding, this will be another level to that. And I have to learn a lot because I have to learn how to grow stuff. <laughs> Step one. When you're talking about taking pictures of lemons every year, or taking pictures of strawberries every year, I was thinking about, do you know the blog Smitten Kitchen? The yes, food like- blog? Yeah, it's like one of the number one food blogs. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So Deb Perlman, when she posts a recipe, she'll then link back to what she posted the year before and the year before mm. that and the year before that. And mm. I kind of want to see like, I want to see all of your lemons through the year. That's a good idea. You know, so I'm also working on a book about, you know, an American that comes to Provence and that, the lessons and a comparison of the cultures and and it'll have my work seasonally compiled throughout the years. But that could be a fun thing to do whenever this book comes out is to do roundups of personal growth and through one oh, personal growth lemons. through your through the things that exactly. also grow. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. I mean, because mm. you know it's you know the first time I shot lemons, they were perfect and they were glossy and they were like perfectly stacked. And then it's like now they're just getting like dirtier and wetter and <laughs> <laughs> Also sounds terrible, but you know, (laughs) more real, more real, more real. All right. Cheer us up. Make us feel better. What's one thing you miss about New York? I mean, tacos, margaritas, uh, sushi, (laughs) Uber. There's one Uber driver in Avignon and that's an hour away. And I know which one he is because I'll (laughs) open the app sometimes just to see where he is. Check Um, in on him. He drives a Mercedes. <laughs> uh, Love that. Yeah. I mean, and also like in New York, it, it's 24 hours, right? Like 
you know, I've gotten used to living not in that cycle, but uh, it's certainly, you know, certainly fun when you can have anything you want whenever you want. All right. So what's next for you, Jamie? Okay. Here's some breadcrumbs. <laughs> Give us some breadcrumbs. Hansel okay, and Gretel it up. Okay. We got iPhone cases. We've got made in France luxury stationery. We've Ooh. got a fine art print show where everything is made in France from, and this might end up having to be all literally on Instagram live if COVID shuts France down again. But Kevin said, oh my God, if you lose another exhibition because of COVID, because exhibitions, you have to pay for <laughs> making all this stuff. So anyways, we've got in the frames that is made by this house in France that did Monet's like frames that are in the Louvre. Like they're unbelievable. My dream frames. So they're all handmade and the prints are all handmade um, by a Parisian printer who just by my luck moved to like a village 20 minutes away from me. Wow. So he's uh, like, he has a printing facility in a cave. It's amazing. So, uh, and then we've got journals. Here's a little sneak peek. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, we have a finale poster of all 50. I'm working on camera straps. Whoa. Great idea. Great idea. Great idea. I actually found a uh, product designer to work with me to make make camera straps. He's He used to live in LA and then uh, he's Parisian though and he moved back to Paris. So he's like here. Cool. So yeah. Um, it's camera straps. And there was something else that was really exciting. What was it? <gasps> this is all very exciting. You're Isn't you're doing it? a full product line. Look at this. Look at this. The lady who's like, I don't want to deal with logistics. I don't want to deal with production. Who, why would I sell work? Here we are. Yeah. Well, I emailed the logistics. I emailed like the warehousing place. And I was like, okay, so I'm seeing you. Here's a picture of all the stuff I'm seeing you. And they're like, you need to sign a contract first. <laughs> <laughs> you, need to, you need to set up. <laughs> set up like. Whoa, 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 whoa. Facilities. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Jamie, I love all of this. I love all of this. It's been so amazing to get able be able to follow your work and to start actually collecting your work too. You guys are the best. The book you that are. was what it was. And then yeah, the book. A couple of books. A couple yeah. of books. Oh, just I mean, a couple. It's like a lifetime. It's like a yeah. lifetime, right? I'm like, I'm see, there's still a New Yorker in me. I'm like, let's do everything all at once. You've always That's had right. a flair for the dramatic. You think? <laughs> <laughs> That's the show. That's, That's the show. The show. <laughs> this has been a production of Dear Media. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found, like Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and much more on a thing or two HQ.com.